but uh, that was worth it. Last of all, persistence in our requests. Oftentimes, we want to turn to James, if you will, for a moment, James, the fifth chapter. Oftentimes, we want God to answer right now. I know that I do, and that not many things I don't think I've ever asked God for that I didn't expect Him to do, or at least would like for Him to do it immediately. Amen? Most of us want an answer rather quickly. And he doesn't always give an answer quickly. And there's a reason he doesn't. One of the reasons he doesn't is because, listen, God in this whole issue of prayer wants us to see him. He wants our focus upon him. And so oftentimes, uh, he doesn't always do it like that. He says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. Now, what we want to do, we want to rush the seasons up. We want it to rain now. And so what happens is, probably one of the greatest mistakes we make is, we pray for a season, God doesn't answer in our allotted time, and so what do we do? We stop praying. And so persistence in prayer means that I just don't pray a few times and give up and quit, but just keep hammering away. Now, if that is, if I know it's the will of God, persistence means if, if I'm not certain about something, but I, I think something is the will of God, I'm going to keep hanging in there till I know for sure. And if I know for certain, then I'm going to thank Him and praise Him and bless Him for the answer whenever He chooses to bring about that answer. God in His wisdom knew this was not the right time. This is the right time. That is not the right time. And usually what we do, we get in trouble when we say, well, Lord, I've been praying for so long time, so here's what I'm going to do. And how many people I have met in life over these years who've said, well, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I never heard anything. God didn't say anything, so I just decided, here's what I'm going to do, and God, I'm going to trust you to bless me. That is dangerous business. You and I are better off waiting, even when it's hard to wait, difficult to wait, trying to wait, than to step ahead of God and do something because we think God isn't on time. And so oftentimes, a person gets in a financial bond. They say, well, I've got to do something. Uh, if I don't do something in the next 10 days, thus and so. And 10 days goes by, and God says, don't do that. And every time I've ever heard God say, don't do that, and I did it anyway, I got in trouble every single time. You see, you can't argue with infinite wisdom, can you? We, we all know that. You can't argue with infinite wisdom. So my impatience will get me in trouble. My impatience says, I want it now. I want it this way. But if I'm going to watch God answer prayer and see Him deal with the big things in life, big things in the ministry, big things in our personal life, or the little things in our personal life, all of these are essentials. Now, more than likely, you may look at those five things and say, well, this is the one I have the most problem with, or this one here, or that one. And so I just lay these out, and just to share them with you, for you to jot them down, look at your own life. The next time you're facing something that you're dealing with, you have to ask yourself the question, are these things true? That is, um, am I really coming to Him on the basis of who He is and not the fact that I'm good, bad, or indifferent? Am I coming to Him knowing that my heart is as clean as I know how it to be at this point in my life? Am I coming to Him believing with all of my heart that I know the will of God, that I know this is how God wants to operate in my life? Am I coming to Him really believing that He is going to hear me? And am I coming to Him willing to keep asking until I know for certain this is the will of God? Now, sometimes He will withhold the knowledge of His will. Well, why would God withhold the knowledge of His will? 
because it may be that God wants to do something in our life before he, you see, sometimes you and I can ask him about something that is the will of God, unquestionable the will of God. And yet somehow there's some sense of hesitation on our part. And we struggle with it. We say, well, it looks like the will of God. Sometimes he will not make it clear until he gets to what he's after. And so when we come to him, prayer is a major, major issue in our life. And here's a God who says, you ask me anything in my will, I'm going to do it for you. Then it is very, very important that you and I understand how to find his will and get ourselves in a position whereby when we come to him, we can come to him with boldness, assurance, and confidence, knowing this is the will of God, we can expect and anticipate God to hear and answer our prayer. Father, we love you and praise you. And when we think about you being an infinite, omnipotent God, willing to listen to the petitions of your people, willing to make such an oath as that you will hear and answer our prayer when we ask in your will, Father, how very, very, very grateful we are. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to trust you. Teach us how to find your will. Teach us how to keep hanging in there, God, until we know your will and can thank you in advance of seeing the answer that a loving, good father is taking care of his children one more time. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. Submitting ourselves to God is the key to answered prayer. As you seek direction from the Lord, check to see that you're surrendered to His will. To listen again, click today on radio at intouch.org and connect to our online bookstore if you'd like to order a copy of Dr. Stanley's complete message, Requirements for Answered Prayer. Again, that's intouch.org or call 1-800-IN-TOUCH. If you prefer to write, our address is In Touch, Post Office Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia 30357. If you're not tapping in to God's endless resources, you're missing out, and so are the people around you. You'll be encouraged to use your God-given abilities coming up in today's Moment with Charles Stanley. Do you take sermon notes on the back of your bulletin, jot scripture references on the offering envelope? Start keeping things in one place, one organized place, with the In Touch Note Takers Journal. This leather soft journal contains 150 pages for taking notes and includes Dr. Stanley's 30 life principles. Find everything in one convenient place with the In Touch Note Takers Journal. Call toll free 1 800 In Touch or visit intouch.org. Trusting God each day can be a challenge, but working to grow that trust brings greater joy and peace than we could ever find on our own. In Trusting God with Today, the 365-day devotional from the teachings of Dr. Charles Stanley, we are encouraged to believe in God's love and rest in His purpose for us. Available now at intouch.org today. You're listening to In Touch. Is your life satisfying? It can be. Here's a moment with Charles Stanley. When you become a Christian, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and He grants to you, gives you 
a spiritual gift and sometimes several gifts, but one is more motivating than all the rest. That is a gift that God gives to every single one of his children. Now you may say, well, I don't think I need that because you're gifted in many other ways, talented skills, natural talents. But when a person becomes a child of God, then you begin to operate out of a spiritual gift. That is, it is the energy and the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that God gives through his spirit. You say, well, I'm doing all right the way I am. How much better could you do? How much more could you do? How much more could you be if you are allowing Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit who inhabits you, who lives in you, who works through you? How much more could you do? How much more could you be if you allowed him to be your energy, your strength, your guidance and direction? Energy and strength from God come through walking closely with him. Learn more about being a Christian at intouch.org. And if the gospel has changed your life, and if this program has been part of your story, please let us know. Next week on In Touch, are you seeking the Lord? After you weigh your options and the advice and opinions of others, do you still choose His plan? Monday's program challenges us to pursue God with all our heart on In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. This program is a presentation of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia, and remains on this station through the grace of God and your faithful prayers and gifts. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. 700 years ago, Italian scholar Marsilius of Padua helped lay the foundation for our modern ideas of popular sovereignty. In his book, Defensor Pacis, written in the context of an ongoing battle in church-state relations, he anticipated the idea of separate spheres for church and state. Though tensions over the balance of power between church and state were probably inevitable eventually, it took surprisingly long for them to develop. In the Roman Empire, the state regulated religious practice. Christianity was an illegal religion in the empire for nearly 300 years. But when it was legalized, a precedent was set for the church to operate separately from the state. And for centuries, the two sides cooperated without much fundamental conflict. In 799, Pope Leo III was accused of a variety of crimes. So he appealed to Charlemagne, king of the Franks, for judgment. Though unsure whether he had jurisdiction over the Pope, Charlemagne acquitted Leo. Since this suggested that Charlemagne was in fact over the Pope, Leo decided to redress the balance by then crowning Charlemagne Emperor on Christmas of 800, which implied papal authority over that office. After Charlemagne, both the church and the state suffered serious decline for nearly a century. The title of emperor fell into disuse and the papacy descended into a period of serious moral degeneracy. In the late 900s, with the aid of church reformers, the Germanic king, Otto I, managed to centralize enough power to be named Holy Roman Emperor. He and his successors deposed a series of corrupt popes and appointed reformers in their place. These reforming popes soon found their dependence on the emperor both theologically and politically problematic. Theologically, they began to argue that as the eternal is superior to the temporal and the spiritual to the physical, so the church is superior to the state and the pope to the emperor. In effect, this meant that the church was over the state early conflict was over who should name and install the bishops. Since Otto I, bishops had been a part of the imperial government. Emperors had insisted on their right to pick the bishops. The popes argued that bishops are primarily ecclesiastical offices and should therefore be appointed and installed by them. This issue finally came to a head when Pope Gregory VII excommunicated Emperor Henry IV and tried to depose him, while Henry also tried to depose Gregory and even invaded Italy in the process to somehow make it stick. The issue was eventually resolved by their successors. But the basic question of 
of whether the Pope was over the Emperor or the Emperor was over the Pope, that just continued to fester, sometimes resulting in war or excommunication and the appointment of anti-popes and the context of all these conflicts. Marsilius of Padua wrote his book. He took the imperial side. He argued that the church had no jurisdiction in secular matters. It should interpret scripture and define dogma. Secular affairs were the responsibility of the civil government, whose members were to be elected and appointed by the most important citizens. In the same way, he believed that clergy, including the pope, should also be elected by the people or their representatives. Even within the church, papal authority was limited since supreme authority was vested in church councils that were called by the emperor. Marsilius also argued that tithes should be eliminated, that church property should be seized by the government, and that clergy should live in holy poverty. His work was supported by prominent Franciscans, most notably William of Ockham, who championed the ideal of apostolic poverty and was later promoted by Thomas Cromwell to support Henry VIII during the English Reformation. Defensor Apaches was an important step in advancing ideas of popular sovereignty and democracy, even though it implicitly supported imperial authority. And despite its blatant anti-clericalism, it made important contributions to ideas about the proper relationship between church and state. Given our current debates about Christendom and Christian nationalism, studying historical works like this one could enrich our understanding of the place of the church in civil society. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Glenn Sunshine. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to Breakpoint.com.